I've got Mr. Al Bat on the phone. Good morning, Al. You uh, wonderful greetings from the great township of of Heartland. So it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a nice day. I went out for a little short walk. Had to take the mail down, and it, it's a nice day. I. I have not a single complaint about this day, and and I do want to say thank you to uh, Harvey Benson and Benita Underbaki. Harvey is from uh, Harmony, and Benita is from Lanesboro for uh, uh, just kindnesses beyond belief. And thanks to everybody who came to Over the Back Fence Radio in, uh, I shouldn't say radio, it is on radio but later on, but it's Over the Back Fence. It's a variety show in Lanesboro. It was fun being on stage there again. And also thank you to Donna of Rapidan for the uh, lovely photo of the Leukistic Robin. And she gave it to me with a little kind of plastic holder. I, I don't know the exact term terminology to use or the thing, but it's very cool and I, I appreciate it greatly. It, I saw a large flock of blackbirds, Karen. Uh, they were moving through the air as though each bird was sharing a single brain, and <laughs> gravity was a law that didn't apply to them. It was just really neat. And my yard now is filled with white-throated sparrows, and they're whistling up memories of past falls. They do that. And I love hearing it. It's one of my favorite, favorite bird uh, sounds. Uh, spider webs, you know, there's a lot of spider webs out there, and I'm sure they're trying to welcome flying insect guests, but instead they're gathering leaves that the wind has peeled from the trees. A couple of days before we had that early October snow, I watched ants at work. Uh, Myrmecology is a scientific study of ants and is a branch of entomology. And ants might not find snow the thrill of their lives, but for us, if we count the number of days from the first snowfall until Christmas, that number is the number of snowfalls we're supposed to expect or not. (laughs) And an ant didn't tell me that, but... Oh, you know that's a lot of that's a lot of snowfalls. So maybe that will not prove true. I I watched a scut. My wife and I watched a scuttle fly, and it scurried like a tiny. Um, my guess is maybe it's a sixteenth to an eighth of an inch in size. It scurried like a tiny Olympic sprinter across a kitchen countertop. And this fly tends to dart instead of flying. So if you have these tiny little flies around your sink or something, and they run instead (laughs) of flying, it's a scuttle fly. They don't bite, and they're associated with decaying organic matter. So they're sort of like our fruit flies, drain flies, all those little moth flies, all the things that we get. But, man, can they run. I don't know what speed they move, and I know they're so tiny it makes them look faster, but they're amazing creatures. Uh, Cindy Drill in North Mankato said it was lovely to see that sun shining again. I looked out my kitchen window to see an eastern kingbird posed on top of a garden. Uh, I can't read that. It didn't print out. Uh, Something in the garden, anyway. (laughs) And by the time I called my husband's attention to it, it had flown. Uh, the first juncos of the season were on Saturday afternoon. I also saw a hummingbird around noon on Saturday zooming away from a feeder. 
Uh, Rita Granson said it was too windy for much bird activity, but I did see 10 to 12 cackling geese with about 100 Canada geese and six swans around a pond in a cow pasture in Worth County, Iowa. Uh, Neil Bat, a, a close relative uh, of Hartland, sent me a photo of a small frog. He said it was maybe an inch and a half long. And it was a photo of a western chorus frog, and that's the one that makes a sound like a thumbnail being run down a comb. And it has three stripes down its back and a dark stripe through its eye, and it has a white stripe at the upper lip. So three stripes down the back, dark stripe through the eye, and a white stripe at the upper lip. So it has a bunch of identifying characteristics, and that's what it was, was a chorus frog. Uh, a good friend, Kim Eckert. Kim lives in Duluth, and he does, um, oh, he's just a wonderful tour and trip leader and has traveled all over the country. And he does a thing for the Minnesota Ornithologist, and it's a Minnesota birding weekend, it's called. And he, I don't know how many. It'd be interesting to know how many of those he's done. But again, he's from Duluth. He saw some avocets, American avocets in Faribault County. He said there were 13 of them at the east side of Minnesota Lake. They were visible from the park just west of beautiful downtown Minnesota Lake. And he was here doing a four-day Minnesota birding weekend. It was October 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th. It covered parts of Mauer, Freeborn, Faribault, and Martin counties. And Kim said, to say the least, the weather on those first three days was quite unpleasant with 20 to 30-mile-per-hour winds, high temperatures from the mid-30s to low-40s, and steady snow showers for most of October 12th when we were in Freeborn County. But the group still managed to come up with a composite total of 115 species, which I, I just, that's incredible, I think, you know, October 11th through the 14th, 115 species. He said there were several highlights. Saw two adult Ross's geese on October 11th in the at the Lyle Sewage Ponds, that's in Mauer County, and at least two cackling geese also present. There were at least 170 greater white-fronted geese. Uh, some folks might uh, recognize them as speckled bellies. That's what I called them when I was a kid. But back to Kim, he said 170 greater white-fronted geese on October 13th in a flooded area along 110th Street West of Walnut Lake uh, WMA, Wildlife Management Area in Faribault County. Saw four sandhill cranes there October 12th on the northeast end of Geneva Lake. That's right out here by me. That's in Freeborn County. He saw um, sandhill cranes there. Also those 13 American avocets that we mentioned on the east side of Minnesota Lake in Faribault County. There were also eight other shorebird species. Among these were eight long-billed dowagers, pectoral and least sandpipers at the greater white-fronted goose location. He counted 830 Franklin's gulls in one flock on October 12th on Elberly Lake in Freeborn County. I was uh, out in a boat one day on uh, Elberly Lake, and there were uh, Franklin's gulls beyond uh, counting for me. 
back to Kim. Red-breasted nuthatch, October 14th at Cedar Park in Fairmont. That's in Martin County. And uh, the total of eight warbler species in all the travels, including Tennessee, Nashville, Magnolia, chestnut-sided, and black-throated green warblers. So Kim just uh, does a wonderful tour, and if anybody ever thinks about going on one of those, please do. He will um, show you birds beyond belief. Uh, Tom Shilka, S-C-H-I-L-K-E, said he was in Navarino, Wisconsin. And I know where that is. That's out by Shawano. We have friends that live out that way. And he was out there and watched 2,500 sandhill cranes settle into refuge for the evening. And that's the Navarino wildlife area. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Jane Clark said, a couple weeks ago I observed a female cardinal feeding a fledgling in the backyard. The seeds the female was choosing to feed the young bird were from jump seed. After a few minutes, the fledgling began to take the seeds from the plant itself. Uh, some folks might know it. Jump seed is a species of smartweed, and we certainly have it here in Minnesota. Uh, some I used to hear it called a woodland knotweed, so it has other names, but um, that was pretty cool. Uh, somebody asked, I saw a robin that was half white. What is that called? It's called leucism. Some people say leucism. I, I go with leucism. And it's manifested in a partially, mostly, or completely white animal. Oh, think piebald. When uh, I was a kid, we had a lot of piebald things. I remember seeing a piebald deer. Uh, also, it used to be called partial albinism. The, the, the eyes retain their natural color in leucistic animals, whereas the eyes are pink in animals with albinism. Uh, albinos are much rarer. Uh, leucism is a condition that's caused by a partial loss of pigmentation. It can make uh, the animal that's bearing this more more likely to succumb to predation. Uh, Larry Dolphin, good friend from Austin, was the uh, director of the Chasey Hormel Nature Center there for many, many years, asked if barred owls eat skunks as great horned owls do. Yeah, great horned owls. I have found great horned owl nests because I can smell skunk. And the reason I smell skunk is the skunk was up in that nest being um, eaten by youngsters. Uh, the barred owl is opportunistic in its feeding habits, and it preys upon fish, reptiles, amphibians, birds, mice, squirrels, uh, chipmunks, frogs, rabbits, insects. I doubt, I should say I don't doubt it would take a skunk. Um, what I doubt is I, it might not take a full-grown skunk. That might be too big for a barred owl. Uh, great horned owls will eat barred owls, so it's um, um, a nervous bird out there, I would think, when great horned owls are calling. A listener said, thanks thanks for being on uh, KMSU. We love Karen. So there you go. See, Karen, they love you. No, they love you, Al. Uh, <laughs> I said, how did the downy woodpecker get its name? And we all see downy woodpeckers. So if we got a feeder out, we're going to see a downy woodpecker sooner or later, more likely sooner than later. 
and how to get its name. And this listener was wondering if it was by the, because of the hairs in the bill. And I've heard that from folks saying, well, it's different than it just has little downy hairs in its nostrils. There was an American colonial naturalist, Mark Catesby, and he gave this species its common name, with downy being a reference to the soft feathers of the white stripe on the lower back. So when you see that downy come in, you'll see there's a white stripe on its lower back, and they're soft. And it was called downy in contrast to the similar but more hair-like feathers on the lower back of the larger hairy woodpecker. And the hairy has a distinctly longer bill. It's a bigger bird, but it's because of those feathers on the white stripe on the back, which uh, I, I've heard so many things uh, um, why it's called that, but that's why what this fella came up with all those many, 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 many years ago. Uh, some things, uh, natural happening, happenings to look for. Uh, gray squirrels are building leafy nests called drays. Uh, Thirteen-line ground squirrels, that's the ones we see along the roadsides, they're beginning to hibernate. Cattails will be shedding their seeds. And short-tailed weasels begin to change color from brown to white. And this weasel is also called an ermine. Um, it's, they're really pretty little guys. I did not like them when they would get into our brooder house and um, just do bad things how, to our chickens. How is it different from a chipmunk? You know, I'm picturing a little chipmunk when you describe that. Yeah, they're uh, they're certainly in that size category. The the weasel would uh, kick a chipmunk's rear end. I guess <laughs> would be a polite way to do it. The chipmunk would not have much of a chance against a weasel. Weasel are they're incredible little hunters. Uh, they're you know as as scary as they are as a predator. They are cute. They're just cute little guys. You see them and you want to say, oh, what a cute little guy. But, you know, it wouldn't be a good idea to pick one up or anything like that because they are, they're um, they're tough little fellas, but they're just really, uh, really lovely. And, of course, they did uh, trap them at one time and use their, their furs and coats and various things. I don't know what they made out of mittens maybe, that ermine color. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can find these little short tail. I think there's three species of weasels found statewide. Uh, there's one that's a least weasel that's the least abundant, and that's probably in northeastern Minnesota more than anywhere else. But the, we do see the short tail. What are they? Short tail, long tailed, and the least weasel. Would I be seeing and them they, in my uh, garden, Al? Because I'm trying to picture. I, I see, you know, chipmunks and squirrels, but I don't know that I've ever seen a weasel. Or if I have, I yeah, maybe don't know it. They work a lot of the night shift, oh. so you're not so likely to see them. And uh, I somebody described them once. I was at a seminar, said they are tube-shaped animal. And I suppose they are because they're small, but they're elongated. And they're brown in the summer, and then they turn white in the winter. And they... Uh, the short tail and the long tail, they have black-tipped tails okay. when they're all white. 
and I believe the least weasel, the least weasel, if I'm going by memory here, and again, that's more northeastern Minnesota, I believe they are completely white without any um, tail coloring, dark tail coloring. And the short tail weasel that we that I see is probably 7 to 14 inches long, and the long tail be maybe a couple inches longer. So this little guy, this little short tail, he weighs two to five ounces. That's how small he is. He's just a tiny little guy. But he is, um, oh, man, I guess ounce for ounce, he's a handful. They're just fierce predators. They're excellent mousers, and they will raid mouse nests. But they also like newborn rabbits. They will eat insects, small birds. They'll even feed on carrion. And they, uh, they're the ones that when I was a kid, all the neighbors would tell me that after they dispatch their prey, they may uh, lap up a victim's blood before eating its flesh, which is, is true, as it turns out. But it used to just uh, send shivers up to us kids. You know, we go, ugh, drinks the blood like, um, like Drac or something like that. But they can defend themselves very well. They, and the brown in the summer and the white in the winter, if you think about that, what better camouflage? And they will use that both to take prey and avoid being prey. Because the weasel's main predators are small hawks, owls, and mink. I know mink love to feed on little weasels, which is like a cousin, which makes for really, really uncomfortable family <laughs> reunions. Oh, the fall fling fundraiser and benefit dinner for the nine nature center will be on saturday november 2nd from 5 30 to 9 it's going to be at the montgomery legion this year and the speaker will be paul douglas billed as minnesota's best known meteorologist and if you go to nye center that's n-e-y center all one word dot org you will find about that and they do it's nye center is just a wonderful wonderful place and I, I don't know how many times. I, you know, we always think I, we should keep track of stuff so you can say, I have stopped there 97 times. It just sound more authoritative and more knowledgeable. 97 times I've been there, but I've been there a lot and um, have never had a bad time there. A uh, nice email from a listener said, what is the world's smallest bird? Is it a hummingbird? Uh, um, yes and no. It is a hummingbird, but it's not the one that we think of here, the ruby-throated hummingbird. It's the bee hummingbird found in Cuba. And it's a bee because some people say, oh, it's about the size of a bumblebee. Well, it weighs less than a dime. And the bee hummingbird in Cuba, and I somebody was telling me one day that they found that in a crossword puzzle. Asked about the world's smallest hummingbird, I think, and it was a three-letter B E E, so it fitted in there very well. And they were so proud to have known the answer. They were telling everybody they knew that they knew the answer. Uh, what bird is the fastest runner? A young girl asked this. Despite educational cartoons featuring Wiley e. Coyote, it isn't a roadrunner because that's you know, we, that's what we'd all think. And man, the coyote couldn't catch it. It's got to be. It just goes meep meep and away it goes. Uh, I bet a lot of you would know the fastest if you give it, um, you know, just an inkling of thought. The ostrich. 
and it's been clocked at 43 miles per hour, and the Roadrunner is at 20. And we, uh, I, I mess around with cartoons and things. I have seen uh, about a thousand cartoons where the ostrich is hiding its head in the ground, to, so people can't, or a predator or something dangerous can't see it. You know, an ostrich doesn't do that. First, it wouldn't be able to breathe, so it wouldn't do you much good to hide your head in the <laughs> ground and then uh, suffocate. What they do do is they dig a nest and then put their eggs in there. Oh. And then the ostrich will stick her head in there because if any of you have ever incubated eggs, you have to roll them over every so often. And that's what that ostrich is doing, sticking its head in there and rolling those eggs over. So um, one of us, a, a man at one time or another, saw that and said, look, they're so frightened, they hide their head, they're so stupid, they think if they put their head in the ground, I won't be able to see it. <laughs> well, that's not what they're doing, but boy, it took off, and it is in every uh, cartoons. There's a lot of things like that that we hear about uh, porcupine being able to throw its quills, and it it can't do that. I'm sure it would love to do it, but it it does not. And the the old mom's tale about uh, do not touch a baby bird because then the mother bird will not take it back and and they do and even going way back to if you touch a toad then you're going to get warts (laughs) and um, none of those are true and i'm sure the wart thing and touching the baby birds were given because a mom didn't want us tormenting a poor toad or uh, taking a baby bird out of a nest and trying to raise it ourselves or something. So I'm sure there were well-meaning things around those. Um, Oh, a great question. Do birds ever get migratory headaches? (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm I'm sure they do when they deal with delayed and canceled flights. So I have no doubt they get migratory headaches, and that's, that's a great line. Appreciate it. Since you're on the jokes, since you're on the jokes, I got one from John. I got a question for you from John. Who helps the little pumpkins get to school safely? Who helps little pumpkins get to school? Safely. 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 That's the key. Yep. Safely. Well, then it wouldn't be squash, because that would end up being a bad thing. if they. (laughs) I don't know. Who helps little pumpkins get to school safely? Uh, The crossing gourd. Oh, you know, I thought a crossing guard, and then I didn't, I didn't expand it enough to gourd there. But that's perfect, John. Man, well, of course they would. Yeah. So it, it's uh, I oh hey, I appreciate those people driving around the other day, and I saw it was miserable weather. It was cold, and and stuff was coming out of the air, and there was that crossing guard out there. Uh, at his post, waiting for the kids to come out, and I think, and man, that—that's—I uh, appreciate their dedication, and uh, I bet they wear comfortable shoes. I hope. 
That's why I think uh, somebody asked me once, what are the trip essentials? What three things should I take on a trip? They were going, uh, I can't can't remember, maybe Alaska. And I said, number one, comfortable shoes. Mm -hmm. Number two is a good attitude. And number three, in this day and age, is more cell phone chargers than they could ever lose. I think those would be the three things you'd want to take along because I run into more people that have lost a uh, phone charger. And the nice thing about most, if you're in a hotel is there have been so many phone charger cords left there that if you go down to the front desk they usually have one that fits your phone but um, people just we, we leave them in hotel rooms apparently because we we're in a hurry we try to get that extra five minutes of sleep and then you get up and you're in a rush and you take off and you look around and you don't see that cord plugged in down at the, near the floor and away you go without it. Well, my husband always then says, a, I was going to say, my husband always says the other thing you need to take is money because if you do, if the the airline loses your luggage or something, at least you got money you could buy clothes if you're desperate. So that would be mine because you can't wear a cord. Well, you could, but <laughs> <laughs> that's right. wouldn't be very pretty. My wife and I went, my wife and I went to Israel. And we, uh, oh, there was a delayed plane here and a delayed plane there. And uh, what ended up was our bags were, uh, oh, a day and a half probably behind us. So the the airline gave us a T-shirt and slippers. Oh. So we were pretty much set. <laughs> Fit their pants. And a little bag, <laughs> a little bag to put them in. So we had, uh, oh, what else? They gave us toothpaste and one of those little uh tiny little toothbrushes so uh, way we were going so we had um, a t-shirt um, advertising the airline and mine was too small uh, other oh, no. than that it was it, <laughs> it it was just like the seats in the plane for tall guys like me and that shirt was too small i hope that, that everybody will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always Heimlich Maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. Uh, This is the time of the year when the roar of the combine can be heard throughout the land. I dreamed that all warning labels had been outlawed and the world's population had dropped by 51% within two years. But waking up, I started the day with a bowl of hot oatmeal. I poured milk onto the oatmeal and added walnuts, almonds, blueberries, and honey. It was as much a hot dish as it was hot cereal. I like hot cereal because I suffer from something called cereal aisle paralysis. It hits me when I'm overwhelmed with choice. I can't help but search the shelves of cold breakfast cereals for mushies. Mushies were an imaginary sponsor on the ancient Bob and Ray radio show. They're, they're line was, the advertising line was, or their slogan, mushies, the great new cereal that gets soggy even without milk or cream. <laughs> so far, no luck finding any mushies. My hiking shoes had become moving billboards for duct tape. I decided to see if new shoes were still being made. I thought a shoe store might be a good place to start my investigation. I saw countless shoes huddled in pairs. I discovered that buying shoes was harder than buying cereal. I demolished my old record for the number of shoes tried on. My personal best had been two, one shoe for each foot. 
I hope the new pair will be as faithful as their duct tape predecessors. Uh, remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for listening to me. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your exquisite company. Al, it's always great to have you on, and uh, happy bird watching. and until next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Our good friend Al Bat. It is 1031, and you are listening to a Minnesota.